you know what? We take things for granted. That's just the way we are. We're spoiled. We, uh, we complain sometimes if the water doesn't get hot enough in the hotel quick enough. Well, how about if you had no fresh water to drink, to cook with, to bathe in, or anything else? Well, today we're going to meet a gentleman who heads up an organization that's making sure that those places in the world where that is the case, that those things are going to change for the better. Welcome to This Alabama Life. Hello and welcome to This Alabama Life. My name is Don Keith. I am your host. My co-host is Andrea Tice. Great to see you, Andrea. Good to be seen. I'm glad you stumbled upon our little humble podcast here. Our mission in life with this podcast is to highlight people who are doing good, positive, and we hope also entertaining things to tell you more about them and what they're doing. So much bad news in the news these days that so a lot of us have turned the news off. Well, uh, hopefully this is a, a podcast that you can turn on and also turn on the podcast for other folks. Uh, word of mouth helps, but if you'll go to our YouTube page, the uh, Facebook page for This Alabama Life, wherever, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a five-star review if you think we deserve it, and subscribe. That's the most important thing because then you'll hear about who our guest is each week and you'll have the opportunity to meet them just as we're meeting them. And this is a, a, our guest today is someone I've never met before, but I'm looking forward to hearing about some wonderful stuff that he's involved in. You know, so many of us take uh, the basics in life for granted. We get upset because we can only get three bars on our cell phone. What about being in parts of the world where you can't even get a drink of water that won't make you sick? Well, that's one of the things that this gentleman's involved in. Yeah, we're so glad to have Matt Letourneau, the CEO of Neverthirst, on board with us today to tell us all about what Neverthirst is doing. So let's start out with just the fact that Neverthirst was started a few years back here in Birmingham. That's correct. And you tell us about that whole story and then how you came on board. Yeah, um, well, first, thanks for having me. And uh, it's true, Neverthirst is Alabama born and bred. Uh, origin story for us is that our three founders were all uh, members at a church here called the Church of Brook Hills. And at the time, there was a visiting pastor uh, by the name of David Platt. And David was preaching a sermon uh, one Sunday on Psalm 67, 1 and 2. Uh, and the crux of the sermon was basically, have you disconnected God's blessing with God's purposes for your life? It really wrecked these three guys that were in attendance that Sunday, and they started getting together and committed an entire year, year and a half of their life to traveling the globe. Uh, and really asking the Lord, hey, what would you have us do with our lives? Uh, you've blessed us a lot. How can we be a blessing to others and be a conduit of blessing instead of just a reservoir? Yeah. And um, so it led them to ultimately be in Sudan uh, before the Civil War, before there was Sudan and South Sudan. Um, and they were standing outside of what what they would call a hospital, but really it's just a, a, a building where kids die for lack of clean water, mm. met a lady outside the building whose child was there and asked, where do you get your water? And so they walked about a mile, mile and a half away from that spot through a bunch of bush and came to an algae-covered pond and said, this is it. This is where we get our water. I come four times a day. And at that moment, they said, this is what, this is clearly what God has called us to do, is to shine a light on this issue and to platform the church. And so Never Thirst was birthed. Uh, to bring clean and living water uh, to unreached places in the world, both 
places that are considered unreached with well, clean water and with the gospel. Yeah. Well, backing up just a little bit, you know, a lot of people may hear that call, but you heard that call. What was your background that made you respond to the, the call to help people get clean water? Right. Well, I had a long and winding road to never thirst. Um, my life personally was uh, transformed through a college ministry when I was a student at Auburn University. Ended up going on staff at that ministry for a number of years mm-hmm. out, out of college and um, then subsequently left and went into business, went into management consulting for a number of years. Uh, and, and really Never Thirst was the board was looking for a new direction for the organization. Their former director uh, was it was a good guy, but there was just incremental growth. They were looking for a little bit more of a big vision and explosive growth. And so they were looking for someone to lead us into the next phase. And so they uh, engaged with an executive search firm here in town called Fire Seeds, which is a Birmingham-based business. Um, and they conducted the search, and everything in my life was, you know, we, I guess Platt would say, uh, had written God a blank check, you know, and uh, their search led them to me and God was working in my life and led me to never thirst. And so we made the move from Atlanta to Birmingham in 2019. All right. Well, so never thirst gets into place uh, and you're brought on board. Now let's back, let's, let's make our audience aware of exactly what you're doing uh, mm-hmm. in the physical sense of bringing water to these people. And let's also explore this whole, this whole idea of what, this does for a person's life when they have clean water. Just a cup of clean water is actually just, it's mind-blowingly life-changing in, in a lot of ways for these people. Yeah, that, that's a rabbit hole. So we can go as deep and as long as you want to go. I know, that, you so. have a lot of stories, individual stories that you could probably share. Um, but just, just take us through the day of someone like that person outside of the hospital. Uh, and what that means when they have to go to a algae covered pond and get that water. Yeah. So on a meta level, right. Uh, there are 771 million people in the world, uh, that would not have access to any sort of safe potable drinking water. Um, that's three quarters of a billion people. That's exactly right. Wow. Um, who would have thought, I mean, I turn on my faucet, water comes out. Yeah, I mean, Don, for, for example, I was sitting in India, northeast India, on the, on the border of Bhutan in the state of Assam in northeast India a couple of years ago. And a 60-year-old man sat across from me and said, in America, how far do you have to walk to find water? Just water. Not even clean water, safe water, just to get water. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, what room am I in? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's like 12 feet. Yeah, You know, if I want it warm, I turn the one on the left, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, just no concept of that. No, con- This man was 60 years old his entire life. He'd suffered from diarrhea because he just had to walk and get unsafe, dirty water. So back into context, 771 million people around the world that don't have access to potable water. Uh, the water crisis hits women the hardest. So if you're born a woman in these contexts and where we work is in... Uh, mostly sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. Uh, If you're born a woman, by the time you're five years old, uh, your lot in life is to wake up every morning and just find water. And so that's your life. And 
and that domino knocks down a lot of other dominoes for you. Right. Meaning that if you're a woman, you have, because your job is to find water for the family, you can't go to school. You cannot get an education. You cannot advance in society. Uh, the cycle of poverty goes on and on and on. And, you know, uh, bad actors in the world uh, know the well-worn paths of these girls and young women that are getting water every day. And that's where a lot of human trafficking happens. And so you're putting them in harm's way in terms of traffickers. Obviously the water that they're getting causes disease in a lot of cases, death. So 800 kids today will die just because they drank water that was uh, diseased. Right. And so you have crisis on multiple levels just because there's no clean water. So if you can provide clean water in a community, then it gives girls opportunity to get an education and rise in society. Uh, gives them an opportunity, obviously mitigates the opportunity to be trafficked. Uh, and it most obviously mitigates the possibility of getting sick and death. Right. So these people are living on a basically a subsistence almost. You know, it's, it's just barely existing. Oh, yeah. Barely existing yeah. and in a poor way, a terrible way, and yet just a, a clean glass of water and, and the time that is saved and the rooting that is saved, you know, that is re-diverted is, is saving their lives. Yeah, 40 billion hours will be dedicated for this year just walking to get water. Uh, I, I literally, three days ago, landed back in the States. I was in Chad, Africa. And uh, Chad is 187 out of 189 on the World Poverty Index, right? And then half of our team went to Niger, where we're working, which is 189 out of 189. So it's like oh, the poor, poorest places on the planet. Um, and we were standing in a village and said, hey, uh, can you just take us where you normally get water? And so we walked, you know, a quarter of a mile and there was just, it, it looked like the ground. It was just cracked ground. And the drought had dried it up and there was no water. So we're like, through translation, we're like, where, where do you go? You know, there is no water anywhere near this village. Where do you go? So we got in our car, our truck, and drove, drove three hours to a river. Mm. And these ladies say that they just get on a donkey and do that every day. What? And so three hours in a, in a car driving to a river, that's, you know, obviously a disgusting river. Uh, but that's their life. That's their life is they just get on donkeys and they go and they get water and they bring it back and it makes them sick. Yeah. So all that work and it's still not helping them, you know, and it, right. it yeah. barely keeps it's, them alive and yes. makes their life even worse. Yes. With all the And maybe kills them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they, and they need water for their animals and they need water just to, just to leave. But it's subsistence farming. You know, and the, a lot of these people are nomadic and nomadic because they're on the move trying to find water. I know we there's a, a whole other rabbit hole of talking about uh, geopolitics and everything. And I know we talked about this before uh, because the yeah. immediate question always comes. I'm just going to say it because it comes to everybody's mind. Why is it that their own government doesn't <laughs> care about them, doesn't do anything to help this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we could. Knowing where I'm sitting and knowing who I'm talking to here, I mean, we can talk for days and years about our own government and the <laughs> issues uh, in our own government. Uh, but corruption 
and and layers of corruption is is everywhere. And uh, in these in these countries, you know, I'll just use Chad in, in particular. I mean, it's the the president of Chad was a, is from a tribe. It's all tribal. And if you happen to be in that tribe, then you get the benefits of being associated with the president's passed down in that tribe. But if you're in any other tribe in, in Chad, you are marginalized mm. and kept out of, of benefit. And, um, you know, just there's just such a deep corruption in these governments. It's unbelievable. Like, so let's just take the South Sudan. Let's take the country of South Sudan. South Sudan is the size of Texas. Okay. Okay. Big. It's a big place. South Sudan has 50 miles of paved road. Size of Texas, 50 miles of their it's paved road. And and if you go to these countries, it's like there is no road. You're making your own road. I mean, it's just so the government and you can see where the government stopped working and then they say, well, we ran out of funds. Right. But if you look at where their ruling officials are and live, you know exactly where all the money is. Uh huh. Uh, and they're just the layers of corruption, the layers of poverty. It's very, very complex. That's the thing. A lot of these countries have natural resources that are valuable. A lot of them get aid from people like us, our taxpayer dollars. Certainly. Yes. But obviously it's not getting to the people that need it the most. That, that would be correct. Yeah. I mean, in some, in Francophone Africa, a lot of it's, you know, French colonization and getting Mm -hmm. help from France, but it's. It's, uh, you could see where it stops, where it begins and where it ends. Well, do you see, do you run into danger helping people that maybe are in the wrong tribe? Um, that's a great question. Uh, we, we trust God and we, and we, <laughs> we know that all of our days are numbered, you know, and that he's written all of our days down, uh, in, in his book. And we're not going to live one day longer than we were meant to and or one day shorter, and there's been moments, you know, like I, two times ago in Chad, I, we were sitting in a village and two guys walked up on us with machetes, but dropped the machetes and just came and sat with us. And so I don't think they were meaning anything. And a lot of the times these, we, we feel safe because these people are so desperate. When we're there, they know that we're there to help them and they're not trying to harm us. Uh, and, and to be quite frank, I mean, we've sat with a lot of government officials, local government officials who are who know that we're Christians and they're Muslims because we're working in a Muslim context. And they've said to us, we know that you're Christians, but no one else is helping us. Our government has abandoned us. The Muslims are not helping us. And so you can do whatever you want and you can say whatever you want because you're the only ones helping us. And so that's really the crux of Never Thirst is we're trying to meet the physical need for the ultimate purpose of meeting their most desperate spiritual need, you know, because we don't, we want them to have hope in this life and the next. How many people are involved in Never Thirst? How many people are climbing on airplanes and going to Africa or Asia? Uh, great question. So we're we're a small operation. We only have 14 full-time 14 people, people uh, working for us. Uh, and our model is that, like, I'm not over there drilling a well. You know, uh, no one on our team is physically over there with a rig um, implementing an engineered water solution. What we do is... These people need jobs and job training. <laughs> and so we're not trying to take any jobs away from locals. So there's plenty of NGO water drilling companies. So in my background in business, you know, we're trying to help these companies scale and grow and add jobs 
to their local economy. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll raise money and, and find a reputable drilling organization that's run by Chadians or, you know, uh, Cambodians or Indians, you know, or Nepalese. And we'll give them basically maybe a hundred to $150,000 tryout money to make sure after we've done a thorough vetting process. And then if we'll manage the project and then if everything goes to plan and they're faithful and little, then we will in, engage with a plan with them to scale their company and do a much larger investment so that they can employ more people and get more help through clean water to the places that currently don't have clean water in their countries. And when you uh, contract with these uh, native companies to do the well drilling, there's another end of this that you also engage in, and that is not just dropping in a well and saying, hey guys, free water. Yeah. You're, you're involved with community building on the other end of that. So tell us about that. That's a great question as well. Um, and I can tell you've done your homework. So we, the welfare mentality is everywhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The welfare mentality is worldwide. Yes. And so we absolutely don't believe in just going in there and just handing out free things, even if it's a natural resource that they need with water. So Everything has a culture, everything has a hierarchy. And so what we do is we work with uh, an evangelist or a local church under, mostly it's all the underground church, mm -hmm. uh, and this drilling company that we are partners with, we work through partners. And we will go into, they have all mapped out every single village in an entire region. We're focused on 14 regions around the world and we know every single village in these regions that need water. And so we just systematically go into all these places and we say, okay, where's the chief, you know, and where are the decision makers here? And we say, do you want clean water? Yes, we do. Okay. Well, how much is that worth to you? Are you willing to raise a repair fund from everyone in this village uh, that says we want it so bad that we'll each contribute a dollar or two, um, to this, which is a lot for them, which is when you're living on less than a dollar a day, it's a massive, right. you know, it's a, it's a significant, significant amount of money. So we're right. Ra they're raising 250 to sometimes 500, $800 repair fund, depending on what water solution we're doing. And that money goes in escrow and it's pulled overseen by a water committee of three women in the village so that the chief can't take it and use it for himself. Wise and move, getting the women involved. <laughs> that's exactly right. So these three women, five women are overseeing that repair. And then they have to learn how to care for that solution so that it's sustainable. So that if it breaks, it's not never thirst Flying water solution. Yeah. This is theirs. They have to own it. Yeah. So they have to learn how to fix it. They have to know who to call if they can't fix it so that the water keeps flowing. Um, because it's not like we just showed up one day, popped a hole in the ground and left and didn't teach them because the training goes on and on. It's not just clean water. It's like we're having to teach on hygiene and sanitation. We're building latrines. We're building hand-washing stations because they we have to teach people that you can't go to the bathroom where you drink. Right. And it's just that seems very sensical to, to us. But when you've done something for millennia, that, uh, those kind of behavioral patterns are, exactly. are hard to break. I, I think I see the method in the madness here is once they've experienced having clean water and their children not dying from yes. dirty water, yes. it's hard to go back to that and they'll do the right thing. Exactly right. That's right. Because they're healthy. Their kids are able to go to school. They know, you know. And in the, at the same time, you're talking about Jesus. That's exactly right. Yeah, the living water, 100%. 
And it, it's, it's an incredible inroad because you, you're matching your words with already done actions that have provided life-saving measures to them. And so who you'd be a fool not to listen to what else you have to say about the, you know, the life-giving water of, of Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, somewhere in the last decade it became trendy I think for nonprofits and, and Christian organizations to talk about like giving dignity or adding dignity to people. And I, I don't really like talking about that because the way that I see it is that these people are already dignified because they've been made in the image of God. And basically what we're, what we're doing is we're going and we're giving them an opportunity to walk in the dignity and to live in the dignity that they've already been given by being created in the image of God mm-hmm. um, by by owning and contributing to something that is going to change their lives uh, and and cause for flourishing mm-hmm. instead of continuing to walk in this cycle of death and destruction. Um, so the living water, yeah, we were working through the, we, our pastors are going and saying, listen, you've been created in the image of God and Jesus cares for you. Like he genuinely cares for you. And the, the reason we're here is because You've been made in the image of God, and we want you to know this Jesus mm. um, who cares for you more than your government cares for you and more than your God cares right. for you. You know what right. I mean? Your false God cares for you. And so the one who never showed up to do anything. <laughs> and they and and they are so and they're open. And I have amazing stories of the power of God, you know, that has shown up in those situations. That's kind of where I was gonna go next. Uh, first of all, how long have you been doing this? And and how long has the, right. the group been together? Yep. And tell us some positive stories. I'm sure you've got plenty of them, but tell us sure. first about the water and then the water of life, some, some things that have really worked out the right way. Right. Um, well, so Never Thirst was founded in 2008 uh, by our three founders. I am not one. Um, Forrest Walden. So if, any, if there's anybody here that lo- loves Alabama, loves uh, fitness, Iron Tribe Fitness, that's Forrest Walden. Mm-hmm. Uh Spencer Sutton and a guy named Mark Whitehead were the three founders of Never Thirst. So I had nothing to do with that. I didn't even know Never Thirst existed in 2008. Um, Fire Seeds found me and the board found me uh, in 2019. And that's when I came on board. So I just literally, well, it will be, I believe April 1st will be my three-year anniversary with Never Thirst. April Fools. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We'll just call it April 2nd. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's my three year anniversary with Never Thirst. So, had the opportunity to travel most places where we're working. Uh, COVID put a little uh, slow right. down on that. So, yeah. I still have not it, traveled to none Nepal. None of these sound like Club Med, by the way. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, it's sleeping on the ground under a mosquito net. You know, it was 112 in Chad last week. Oh, my. And goodness. so, that was, uh, that was you know, battling dehydration and, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of food. So we're just eating granola bars that we'd packed. And so, um, it's, it's pretty Spartan, it's gritty, you know, but I think that this is what God's called us to do. And so it's a joy for us to go and to be with these people. And it's also super humbling and, um, sobering, you know, to understand that it's like, this is their reality. This is my week or two, but this is their every day. Right. Uh, but in terms of answering your question about some cool stories, I mean, I mean, off off the top of my head, just plucking one or two out of the air. Um, in terms of just the personal power of God, where I was floored, just floored, was I was in India uh, back in 
the fall of 2019, summer of 2019, right after I'd taken the role. And I'm, I won't tell you exactly where I was for security reasons, but there was a pastor there who I had the privilege of meeting in the village uh, that he was ministering in. And I, I asked him through translation, what did it take to get clean water to this place? So through translation, he just proceeded to tell me that he had had a burden for this entire region and had been visiting the villages in this particular village. He had visited multiple times and just tried to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Um, and they said, we're not interested. Stop coming here. Uh, undeterred by that, he continued to show up because he just had a burden for these people to hear the gospel of Jesus. And they proceeded to kill his two sons, seven and five years old. Mm. They poisoned them. They said, we told you never to come back here, but yet you came back. And so this is the price. Wow. They, he continued, like, after that, he met our, our facilitator uh, at Never Thirst in India on the ground and told him the story. And our guy said, listen, brother, there's no, obviously, you don't have to go back there, but if we could get you access to clean water, would you have a heart to go back to these very people? And he said, yes. And so he went back and they said, we told you not to come back and now we're coming after you. And he said, if I can get you, will you listen to what I have to say? He said, yes, we're so desperate. If you can get clean water here, we will listen. And Sure enough, they went through the whole process, the community development process, you know, of raising the repair fund, checking all the boxes. We had a successful drill. Water started flowing. Uh, and I have a picture. I'll show it to you. You can, if you have show notes, I can, you can clip it on your show notes of, right. of the house church that started there wow. uh, because of this man's persistence and his testimony. And I, you know, I share that. I, sh I share that like it's just a story. <laughs> mm. But the reality is, is when I step back and I, I see this man, I know this man, when I step back and I think of myself, I'm like, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't let my kids get slapped on the wrist. Right. Right. For that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? For the, yep. and, and in my Western comfort or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, these guys are, are literally, they're, they're paying ultimate prices uh, in, in a way that was completely foreign to me until I stepped into this. Have you been surprised how many times you've been told, don't come back, we don't need the water, or the water's not worth having to put up with the other stuff, or has it happened? No. Not to you? Not to me. Uh, the, 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 the stories that are amazing to me are just the incredible cultural differences like, for instance, we, we were doing toilets in South Sudan and, you know, outhouses basically kind of stuff, you know. And six months later, this is a mistake, right? So this is like a, a, a failure story that I'm sharing, mm -hmm. right? You're not supposed to talk about failure. We'll talk about our failures. Not everything is up and to the right all the time. Uh -huh. And so we go back six months later and it's like, you know, there's like animals in there, potted plants. You know, it's a, they're growing <laughs> gardens in there and we're like... This is not how we did it. You know, this is not how we trained you to use it's not it. how we do it in Birmingham. Yeah, th th yeah, that's right. 
we found out that we had missed a step in the in listening to the community as far as what kind of sanitation solution would be right in that context. And so this is, forgive me for sensitive ears or anything that's, or, you know, offending Western sensibilities perhaps in this, but what we failed to realize is culturally for millennia, the women in these villages every morning walk out to the same place and sit in a circle and do their business. And that's where, (laughs) The, the village gossip happened. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, and so you... Talk about uh, dual tasking, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a multitasking, but they would go and they would sit in a circle and that's where they would converse and gossip and chat before they had to go get water. And when you separated them in like an outhouse structure, it's like they just, they had no use for that. So what we learned is we had to do a ring latrine. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. like an open air ring latrine, so, so there was runoff, so they that they can continue to do communicate. that. In their culture, that's what made sense to them, and we we're like, you know, just what, what how we think of through a Western lens. I started to ask it's this crazy. question way back uh, twenty minutes ago, but this has to be a learning experience for you guys when you go in there. You've got to oh, listen, yeah. and you've got to be sensitive to their needs, not necessarily what you think they need to do. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing: right is right. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's right and wrong. Right. But there's a whole lot of nuance in terms of how to what, what do we need to know? Well, we need to know that you're not going to have waste runoff near a water source. You know, mm-hmm. we, we you know that. These things, these pathogens that are found in water are always bad all the time. You know right. what I mean? At right. certain levels. Yeah. And so. But, you know, is the style of latrine that we're going to build going to be, yeah. does it have to be Western? No, it doesn't. No. Yeah. Um, and, and we do multiple different types of water solutions just depending on like where you are in the world and like what that gives you. Yeah. So there's not one size fits all. There's a ton of learning. And, and I imagine that goes not just country to country, but tribe to tribe. Sometimes, uh, sometimes a lot of times it is country to country, just depending on if it's a certain region in the country, which we have a lot of regional focus. There are, a lot of similarities country to country, for sure. But sometimes tribe to tribe, there's definitely nuance. I know you don't want to talk about failures, but have there been places where you could not find clean water? Yes. So in all of our contracts, our MOUs, um, you know, we, we contract for multiple attempts. Uh, I mean, when you're, when you're drilling in sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. um, how far yeah. down do you have to go just to access a water table? What? Listen, I mean, it. So where we just weren't, Chad, I was just at a drill. You know, they, they were going down 250 feet into the ground. Sometimes we got to go down three feet into the ground. And that is not like a simple hand pump because like. The, the pump will break. It'll wear someone out. I mean, that's like yeah, yes. full body workout just to get a couple pumps. So what we have to do is attach, put a solar pump to the bottom of that, build a rain tank bigger than this room, or not a rain tank, but a storage tank, elevate it many tens of feet above the ground, have that solar pump suck the water into that storage tank, and then gravity feed it down over mile and a half or two miles of villages so that a little girl could come and just turn a faucet during daylight hours and water's flowing. And that's incredibly, you know, involved 
and, 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 a, and a pretty interesting feat of engineering. You sure. Know, and that's, that. uh, that's why I guess you have local companies when you can that do this. A hundred percent. Yeah. You don't just go out and hook up to the power main and buy a pump at uh, home Depot. And <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Doesn't work that way. No. And they don't have, they don't have municipalities that have, they, they don't have Birmingham waterworks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't have anything like that. So you have to find the aquifer, tap it and, Wow. <laughs> Test wow. it to make sure it's safe. And and, and it's it's all self-sufficient out there because, like like you said, you're out far from any other municipality or, or access to anything. Or utility of any yes. kind. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're talking about, like, the places where we work, there's no roads. So you're, like, having to cut a road yeah. to get your equipment back there. You know, it's it's gritty. All right, you guys climb on airplanes and go all over the world, and yeah. where does the money come from? Money comes from, remarkably, just the incredible generosity of individuals, businesses, and churches. Uh, we have donors in all 50 states, about 27 different countries. Um, but obviously, Birmingham has been home base for us, and you know, our, one of our strategic goals is just to be the most recognizable nonprofit doing good in the world in Birmingham. You know, like what, if you're looking at it in football terms, you know what I mean? When you're recruiting, you want to win in your own backyard. And so we want to be ubiquitous with Birmingham. We want people in Birmingham to be proud that Never Thirst and our organization doing the work we're doing is hometown and uh, right here in the backyard. Well, what I love about what Never Thirst is doing here in Birmingham is when someone's giving their hard-earned money, Mm-hmm. They want to know that it has an immediate effect and a long-term effect. It, it actually changes lives and ultimately allows for opportunity for the gospel. If the person giving that money, that's their ultimate goal. What I love about what you guys are doing is that the, the, the ROI, the return on investment, is immediate and it's massive. Because you're, you're going in and you are literally just completely shifting. It's a, well, you're starting at zero. <laughs> zero and just shifting everything for these people's lives from age zero to age 90. Yeah. And uh, you can just see an immediate, um, immediate change. And then on top of that, the avenue that it's creating for the spiritual element to be brought in is fantastic. Because you've chosen to... to um, partner with the evangelical elements in that in that country yes so uh i i love that i love to promote that to people that are listening that might be like okay where do i want to put a thousand dollars it's going to go far with with you guys oh absolutely yeah about forty dollars gives one person clean water and so there's a i was thinking i was like what do i blow forty dollars yeah. Oh. Yeah. Forty bucks will give change. Half a tank. Half a tank. Of half a tank. Yeah. <laughs> this is right. Yeah. Oh, we could go on, Don. We could go on about that. Let's um, keep it positive, yeah. okay? Okay. How about to, um, change someone's life? Forty yeah, bucks there will you go. change someone's trajectory of their whole life. So Never Thirst has been st- started in two thousand and eight. So that's over ten years. Um, yeah. Any success mm-hmm. stories of someone who you know maybe got that first pump of water when they were five years old? And we're able to go to school and has, yeah. you've seen the results of that now, 10 years later. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been, we've, we've served almost a million people with, uh, with clean living water, uh, at least clean water. And then they've heard the access to the gospel and a lot of these contexts, house churches have been. And no way to know how many lives that saved. Oh, we, yeah. So we literally this year, one of our initiatives, we just hired a guy, uh, who's our, 
head of wash programming, but his job is really to measure our sustainability, both on the water side and also to measure ministry impact over time. Like Mm -hmm. really how far has this grown? Mm -hmm. So we're at the beginning to measure like how deep and wide has this grown from here in Chad, right? I was just in a village and there was, I don't know, hundred people there when I went two years ago, January, 2020, went back after we put a water solution in and it's tripled, Wow! right? You know Mm -hmm. I mean? People hear about it and they're coming. Church grows. Um, It's, it's amazing. Uh, Specifically, I'll tell you a story. Once again, back in South Sudan, uh, one of our, one of our, my colleagues, Jimbo Tucker here, who works on, uh, he's our director of partnerships, working with local businesses to help them have more added significance in their companies than just being profitable. He went to South Sudan. I mean, I would imagine it has to be at this point, probably back in 2013, 2014. Um, And he met these two kids, Henry and Bethany. And statistically, their image, their sad image of tattered clothes holding a jerry can of water at a dirty water source has been the most clicked image that we've ever had in terms of like when we were looking at social media metrics and stuff like that. People, the look on their face, the exposure of need, whatever it is, it just grabs people because for whatever reason, it's a powerful image. Right. Jimbo met them on a trip to South Sudan, their mom. They, he went back two years later to visit the project and met with the mom, said, well, where's Henry and Bethany? He goes, oh, well, they're, they're in school, you know, because they don't, we have clean water now. And so now like their whole future is mm-hmm. they're, they're not here and they're not going to be here for a long time because it's middle of school day. So, you know, they, they have hope and a future and these kind of things. So that, that's not an anecdotal story. That's a real story, but that's the only one that comes to mind right now in terms of just, uh, you know, real life on the ground impact. I mean, we, we have hard drives full of impact stories. So, and that's what we share. So when people sponsor projects, we want to excel in gratitude. We want to prove that we took your money and did exactly what we said we were going to do with it. And so at a certain price point for projects, people get like the full Monty, so to speak, uh, yes. donor experience where yeah. they're at the end when that project's completed, the water is tested safe. They get pictures before and after interview with a woman in the community that says, this is what my life was like because of your incredible generosity. This is how it has changed my life. People just like me in the village. And then in, Testimony from the pastor that's in, talking about the spiritual traction that's been gained because of that generous gift. That's got to be gratifying personally for you guys who are intimately involved in this, as oh, well yeah. as the people who donate and help to see the change that you can do. Most of us never even thought of this, you know, never yeah. even thought of this as being a way to get in the door, so to speak, and really make a difference in people's lives. And then yeah. do some other things that make a big difference in their lives too. Yes. And, and just by, by contributing and allowing the water, you know, contributing money and allowing the water to come into a, a, a village, you're buying time, buying time for these kids, not just to go to school, but buying time for them to live. 
oh, yeah. long enough to hear the good news about living water. Absolutely. And and if you if people would see that that uh, have that vision, um, well, I, I get know, on board ju- with it. Just going to the website and seeing some of the videos you have posted there, it's heartbreaking yeah. to start with, and it's depressing. Yeah. It is depressing, <laughs> but then you see the change that you're making. And that's that's why I say it's got to be gratifying to be able to make that much difference in human lives. It is gratifying, and it's equally gratifying to see when it resonates with people next door, like here in Birmingham or anywhere that we have the privilege of traveling domestically. It's it's incredibly humbling because Don, as you know, you have a million and one options to give charitable, you know, to right. give to charities. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like there's no shortage of opportunity to give charitable dollars to organizations that are you know, doing good work and need, need donations. Um, so when people choose us, you know, that's, that's incredibly gratifying, you know, because it's like we can take them then and show, and, and literally we can take people on an airplane, bring them to the middle of nowhere and they can stand in this village and meet the people that they, through their generosity have changed the trajectory of these stories forever. And, uh, and it's, and it's incredible. And I would just add to that that I don't know if you knew this, but do you, here's a quiz for you. Do you know, and you might know this, but Don, I don't know you very well, so I'll ask you this. Out of all Christian giving, what percentage of it, there's 3 billion people in the world that are considered unreached with the gospel, 3 billion, over 40% of the world's population. Out of Christian giving, what percentage goes to that population? The, what's considered unreached by the gospel. I'm going to guess low. I want to say 10%. Guessing low was right, but it's lower at 1%. 1% wow. of what? all Christian giving what? goes towards advancing the gospel of Jesus amongst unreached places. 99% of all Christian giving, which is the rest, I'm voting a math major, but I know it's 100%. <laughs> Goes, I'm the one that had my decimal point in the wrong place. Okay, ninety nine percent goes towards places that already have are, are considered reached and have a lot of opportunity to hear the gospel. I guarantee you, you ask most evangelicals, they'll tell you that practically everybody in the world has heard the message. No, no, three over three three point three point two billion still would, a lot of, a lot would of folks never have heard the name of Jesus, hmm. and so the, our whole goal right and our is to is that population at, and and for whatever reason as god and his mysterious wisdom has ordained this the 771 million people that still don't have clean water are in in these in, in that, that 1040 window yeah. of people that yeah. have not heard the gospel so this is like the most tangible way yes. to be able to say i'm going to meet a tangible physical need that you need anyway and while i'm here I want to share with you about the, the transformative power and the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. You know, and how many of those people, li- really, how many of those people say, who is this Jesus of whom you speak? Yeah, I mean, they don't know. You know, they, they don't know. They, I mean, another story out of Chad in this village I was just in is we, they, when they heard that we were going to drill, they were so desperate for water that the chief and the women the whole village, basically, the night before when we had a rig park there, they went and they sacrificed chickens and goats, and they took the blood and they rubbed it all over our rig. Oh, wow. And, and prayed to Allah 
and to their ancestral gods because they're animists as well. Mm-hmm. Just pleading for water. Our geologist, who'd been doing this for 30 years and never gets it wrong, said, told me, he goes, we were drilling, 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 dry as a bone. He goes, I've never been that wrong in my life. The cook who was cooking for our team, our drilling team out there, went to our Africa programs director who was on site during the drill and said, hey, just so you know, the village people came out last night and made animal sacrifices, put blood on the, on the rig because they're so desperate for water. Our Africa director tells our pastor, Pastor Musa in this case, who is a Muslim background believer, converted from Islam to Christianity, told him what had happened, and he gets his Bible, his Arabic Bible, and in Arabic starts circling the camp. I mean, this is like a real Elijah and the prophets oh, of Baal wow. story. Yeah. And he holds yeah. it in here and goes, to, to the only God, and mm. Jesus his only begotten Son, may these people under the sound of my voice forever know that there is no power in Allah to bring water out of the ground, and there is no, no power and their ancestral gods to bring water to them. But there's only power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to bring water for, for them because he loves them and wants them to know him. And then he said, move the rig 30 meters that way and drill again. They did it. They drilled, and I was just there last week. It's the highest yielding well we've ever had in the history of Neverthirst. And the people said, now we know that there is not power in the name of Allah. There's only power in the name of Jesus. So we will follow wow. Jesus. Wow. That is a <laughs> so, modern day Elijah story. It was There's crazy. No doubt. There you go. Yeah. That is that's that gives you chills. That's yeah. exciting. Yes. How do people find out more about Never Thirst? Well, all the all the usual channels. Uh, Besides this fine podcast. Of this course. of course, this is the ground zero to yeah. learn about where yeah, right. <laughs> who we are uh, and where you can find us. But uh, neverthirstwater.org uh, is our website. That's where you're going to find most information. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all the usual places. I, I am not on any social media. Uh, so we have other people that take care of that for us. Uh, so I couldn't even tell you our handles right now, but we have Facebook and Instagram and those are where most people find us. I, I would start with a website. If I were just casually interested, I don't know how you'd be casually interested after hearing the story. Right. I, I would definitely start with the website and never, take a look. Never thirst water. Never thirst water. Never thirst water. Dot org. You know, uh, I just, just as a side note, that whole story about the women in the circular latrine. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was saying to my husband the other day, I, there was some sort of information I got from another woman that he had no clue about. And I was like, you know, women are the original social media. Uh, you know, we've, they really are. And yeah. what you did was you disrupted their social media, their we medieval did. social we, media. We learned a hard lesson. <laughs> learned a hard lesson on that one. Yep. Everybody uh, knows women are the communicators. The men never communicate unless it's about who's favored in the NCAA tournament. Or there whatever. you go. That's we, about it. We talk about that, man. <laughs> you have your brackets filled out? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, okay. They're probably busted already. We'll have no two of them are busted already. Already? <laughs> yes, oh, on gosh. the play-in games. But we'll not talk about that. <laughs> you know, I learned so much from this podcast. I'm glad I watch it every week. <laughs> this is really a... a I'll never complain about only getting three bars on my cell phone again. I'll tell you that. No, I'm, uh, every time I take a drink, uh, it's going to feel like I'm drinking a pot of gold. There you I mean, go. when you realize it, it's, it's more are. more valuable. Matt Letourneau, thank you so much for being with us today and for talking about the wonderful work that you're doing out there in places we didn't know existed. 
thanks for having me. Against problems that most of us didn't know existed, too. I hope you'll go learn more. Also hope if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll tell folks about it. You'll subscribe. You'll give us reviews and thumbs up and whatever it takes on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes. The 1819 News website is a good place to go start. Our Facebook page is there, and you can watch all the podcasts there as well. Uh, That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on This Alabama Life.